0: Chapter 21 in the book of Proverbs, Sunday night, Genesis to Revelation, and Solomon writes, by the Spirit of God, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes, and uh, the whole, uh, when it talks about rivers of water there in the passage, it speaks of water courses, or um, sometimes we're a little more mechanized here in the United States, but I remember... Being with a group of men in uh, southern India, and there was this great channel of water that was flowing, and they would, the farmers would take, and they would open up some mud that would allow it to come in, and they would get on like this bicycle paddles and flood their rice fields with it. And uh, it's a picture of what this proverb is talking about. The Irrigation channel or the uh, channel, a canal that a farmer digs in order to direct the water to his crops. And so the proverb declares that just as a channel or a canal directs the flow of water, so too uh, God is able to direct the heart and the thoughts of a king. We see that all the way through the scriptures, don't we? Remember Pharaoh? Um, God had to bring ten great plagues upon the nation of Egypt in order to release his people for Pharaoh to be willing to let his people go. Pharaoh was unbelievably powerful. So much power concentrated in one man. God won. We think about uh, Caesar Augustus. His name means of the gods. That's a, he liked that name, Caesar of the gods. And, of course, the deification of the Caesars came a little bit later and all, and it was even kind of in vogue at that particular time god 's got a little he 's got a couple up in the city of Nazareth, a virgin by the name of Mary and her betrothed husband by the name of joseph and he 's made a promise in His word in Micah that the Messiah is going to be born to the world in the city of Bethlehem and she 's over eight months pregnant. How is she going to get take that trip from Nazareth down into Bethlehem for Jesus to be born? And fulfill the prophecy and Caesar Augustus gives the decree that everyone should go to their hometown in order that they might be taxed. She has no choice and she goes down there with Joseph and ends up giving birth to Jesus in Bethlehem just as the scriptures said. It's nothing to move our president for the Lord to do that or any person of power in the whole wide world. He is sovereign over All And this proverb speaks and reminds us of that, his sovereignty in human affairs. And the idea is that we would just relax and to realize as punishing as it can be at times to be under some of these rulers that have been through the ages, God's word and God's promises will have the final say in every human life and it will have the final say in human history and no person can stand against that. Everything is under control, but it's moving not toward the end that you and I might think the twists and turns that it should take to get there, but it's right on course to uh, fulfill God's Word. And in the meantime, God is going to keep all of His promises to every single one of us while it gets there so the to think about the sovereignty of god which the sovereignty speaks of his almightiness, is intended to give us peace and uh, god is he is able to move and to change and and uh, direct whatever's necessary to accomplish his purposes verse two every way of a man is right in his own eyes especially when he's driving and he doesn't want to Get directions, but the Lord weighs the hearts, the inward motives, and and all inside of us as men and women. So, we have a a, um, a tremendous cap- capacity to be be blind related to um, ourselves. We have every one of us has very significant blind spots, and um, so we can convince ourselves just about anything. Concerning ourselves, we justify just about anything concerning ourselves. So, our capacity for self-deception is very real, and it's very, very dangerous. And so, the Bible says that we're not capable to judge ourselves. Um, those who compare themselves among themselves are not wise. Paul wrote uh, to the church at. Only God who sees everything and knows everything. Not just our outward actions, but he knows our inward thoughts and our motives for what we do. He's the only one uh, that knows us inside and out. And that's why we can go to prayer to him and say, Lord, would you show me this? Would you help me to understand this? And he'll tell us things that we could never discover by self-discovery or by self-anything. He's able to do that, and so the Lord is. He wa- He knows us inside and out, and and He's and He works in our lives inside and out. I think we've mentioned it before, related to the Proverbs. Sometimes we become, you know, a brand new Christian. God cleans up our act. You know, we stop doing this, we stop doing that, we start doing this, and. Well, pretty soon we think, you know, within a, God does such dramatic things within six weeks or six months. It's going to be like, wow! I'm just about conformed in the image of Christ, and I'm ready to write my autobiography about uh, how effortless the Christian life is and how easy it came to me. And if only you had enough faith, it could happen for you too. And uh, but for 15.95, if you buy my book, you can learn all of the secrets. And so we think we've just about arrived, and then what happens, God? The light goes on, and we realize, oh, holiness is more than just our outward actions and what people say. Now he starts to work on our attitudes, and he starts to work on our thoughts and our motives. And then we realize, oh, this is why it's going to take a lifetime to conform me into the image of Christ. And the Lord is uniquely qualified Uh, in order to do that verse three to do righteousness and justice that is to be obedient is more acceptable to the lord than sacrifice and this was spoken in the context of israel's uh, sacrificial system in which animals were offered to god as an expression of obedience to the lord and an expression of worship and so God is saying here to the children of Israel under that covenant, but it's the same truth that speaks to us, that our obedience means more to him than any sacrifice that we would offer to him. No, no sacrifice or gift that is even given to us as human parents, those of us who are parents, if a child is living a life of willful, willful disobedience against our word, against our authority, and they bring us a gift, it's like take the gift away. All it does is taunt me. All it does is hurt me. All I want from you is to just simply obey what I'm telling you to do and what I'm demanding of you and requiring of you in order to properly lead this household. And no gift you could ever give to me will, will be, mean anything to me until it's coming forth from an obedient life. And it's the same thing with the Lord living in willful disobedience to Him, if a person does that, anything that we would offer to him, there's no pleasure in it. He just essentially says the same thing that we would say, and that is, give me your obedience and then your gifts can be meaningful and bring me pleasure, but not uh, until that. And so... Uh, the, uh, the importance of the one before the other when we really want to bless the heart of the Lord. Verse 4, a haughty look, that speaks of outward pride. So um, a proud heart, that's inward pride. And then the plowing of the wicked, that speaks of the prosperity of the wicked. All of those three things are sin. Verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to Plenty. But those, but those of everyone who is hasty, surely to poverty. And so this speaks as so many of the Proverbs do to the superiority of diligence and hard work and thorough planning as a means of attaining prosperity, slow and steady uh, in that way, as opposed to kind of resorting to get rich quick uh, schemes or making kind of hasty, ill thought of uh, out-decisions. The first leads to plenty, and the second leads to poverty. So forget the scratchers. Are they still doing scratchers? It's been like six months before I bought those tickets last. I'm just kidding. I've never bought one of those tickets. Because what if I won? What would I do with it? Pastor Damien Kyle won $600 billion or whatever the thing is on the latest scratcher. Could I come in and preach a sermon the next week related to that? No, you'd all want a loan. Then I'd have to give you all a car for coming out on Super Bowl Sunday. No, I'm not much of a gambler. The, the people get ahead in life by uh, the old-fashioned way, hard work and the good planning good diligence. Verse 6, getting treasures by a lying tongue is the fleeting fantasy of those who seek death. And so this refers to those who get rich by lying and uh, by cheating and uh, to think that a person can gain wealth and then maintain wealth through lying. Uh, The proverb tells us is to believe a fantasy, is to believe a mirage because uh, not only will that That kind of wealth gained that way ultimately fade. But uh, Solomon tells us that it is also a way to a quick death. Verse 7, The violence of the wicked will destroy them because they refuse to do justice. They refuse to do what is right. And so we do reap what we sow in life, and that's a fact of the matter. So the violence of the wicked, ultimately it comes around and it gets them. Those who refuse to do justice, they're lawbreakers. Uh, Sooner or later, justice is going to come to them, whether it's uh, in the form of an arrest by law enforcement or sometimes it's just somebody who's more wicked and a greater lawbreaker and with a more seared conscience that you, than you have. They come into your territory and they take over your operation or they violently victimize you in some other ways. But it does happen. That's not the path for prosperity. Verse 8, "'The way of a guilty man is perverse, "'but as for the pure, his work is right.'" And so the contrast between the guilty man and the pure man, the guilty man has to live a hidden life, a secret life. So He's got to give the appearance of one thing outwardly when he knows that inside he's something entirely different. That takes a lot of energy, a lot of work, a lot of resources from within. The pure person just walks openly and in the light. They don't have a guilty conscience related to anything. Isn't it wonderful to walk in the light? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. It is such an uncomplicated life to walk right with God, walk right with our fellow man. We have no idea what a load that takes us off, how free we are to do that as Christians. And the proverb commends that. I'm thankful for the privilege of being able to walk in the light. Verse 9, better to dwell in in a corner of a housetop than a house shared with a contentious or literally a brawling woman. Wow. Now, you remember back, I think it was in chapter 17 or chapter 19 of the book of Proverbs, this kind of a woman is likened to a leaking faucet. Drip, 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 nag, 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 nag. Contention, 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 brawling, brawling, brawling. So the progression is going on because now he's left the house and he's up on the roof living in a corner of the house. In Israel, in ancient times, and even today, the houses, uh, certainly more so in ancient times, they were flat roofed. So that space was used as living space when it would get unbearably hot kind of in the house. You'd go upstairs and sleep in the evening with the breezes going by up on the rooftop. And so he has moved out of the house and he has moved uh, into not only on the rooftop, housetop, but he's all the way in the corner of a house, <laughs> of a housetop. And uh, so here again we have... An observation concerning the rebellious, unsubmissive wife, wife who just loves to fight and loves to argue. They make life miserable for everyone else in the home. And uh, so better to live in a small, cramped area exposed uh, even to the rain and the cold and the wind and the heat up on the roof than to live in the house with that kind of a wife. The storms outside. Easier to endure than the storm on the inside. And it speaks of the value of peace and quiet in a home. Not just to a husband, but also to a wife. Every husband and wife has the right to have a home that is marked by peace uh, and by quiet. The soul of the wicked uh, desires evil. His neighbor finds no favor in his eyes and so the first part speaks of a man who's always plotting crimes plotting evil and uh, some people sin because they don't want to sin but they're not born again yet and so they don't have a new nature so they're just doing what their flesh tells them and so they don't like who they are they don't like what they're doing but um they they do they sin because of their weakness and then there's others who sin eagerly they sin ruthlessly and uh There are those kinds of people in life. And the second part of the proverb tells us that that kind of person here described even has no compassion upon uh, his neighbor. He doesn't have any compassion on anyone. He'll take advantage of anyone, even his close neighbor. So very cold-hearted person. When the scoffer is punished, the simple is made wise. But when the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. And so... Even if you punish, and we saw a proverb here recently on this, if you punish a scoffer, even if it does no good for him, but there are others that are watching it, it has a deterrent effect upon uh, those from following him into uh, their foolish life. And then by contrast, the wise man doesn't need to be punished in order to learn something. He learns the easier way by listening to instruction. You know, it's important... Um, a lot of us learn, most of what we learn the hard way. It's called the School of Hard Knocks. But And people, uh, you know, we kind of laugh a little bit about the School of Hard Knocks. And for some people, it's even like a source of pride that they've, they're a proud graduate of the School of Hard Knocks. But that school's overrated. It really is. The tuition, very, very high. <laughs> you know, higher than we want to pay. It's much better in life to learn from the mistakes of other people or learn from the virtues of other people. And um, sometimes uh, and increasingly we're seeing in the United States where a younger generation is not being raised not only by their, not by their parents, but they're not being raised even if they have parents by godly parents who are investing the kind of time uh, that's involved in raising up a young person and fashioning and so... A young person has to even begin to take a proverb like this very seriously and say, well, I'm not going to learn what I need to learn from my parents here. I'm going to start, I'm going to open up my eyes and I'm going to learn from life. And you can learn and look and say, okay, this is where this person ended up in life. I see where the decision that it began with, all right, I got it. I'm not going to do that. You see someone over here who's got a life that's attractive and appealing in terms of its stability, its peace, um, how God is using that person. And then you look and you say, I want to learn what I need to uh, from that life. And so we don't want to learn everything uh, the hard way, and there's no need uh, for that. Now, uh, learn it whatever way we need to, but there's an easier way than the school of hard knocks. Verse 12, the righteous God wisely considers the house of the wicked, overthrowing the wicked for their wickedness. And so the Lord watches all of uh, the wicked and he will not fail to overthrow them when he decides to do so just at the right time. Can you imagine what the Lord sees in this world on a daily basis? Sometimes I'm horrified by the commercials. And you look and you say, whoa, that's evil. I didn't watch the Grammys last week. I was at church. (laughs) But I read about them the next day. What a vile, profane, terrible ceremony. That was last week. You think about what... And that's just out in the open on a stage. That's just evil getting bold and flaunting their evil old self on things. And, but God, He watches all of it. And the proverb reminds us no one gets away with anything ultimately. Not just related to eternity, but in this life. As a Christian who is filled with the Holy Spirit, we have the knowledge that we are right with God and we are right with our fellow man. We experience and we feel a peace and an emotion that the wicked never know. And we get so used to walking in that and living in that that. We kind of forget how valuable it is. We undervalue it. But I wouldn't trade that not for the whole wide world, not, not for any wickedness at all. What a blessing it is to walk in righteousness and walk with the Lord. Verse thirteen: Whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. So, if we ignore the needs of others, then we shouldn't be surprised that when uh, when others choose to ignore our cries and our t- time of need, we really do reap what we sow in life in that area uh, as well. And so. Everything can be reversed in a moment's in, t- in time, isn't it, where here's the rich person, here's the poor person, things turn around and now this person is the rich person, this person is the poor person. I think about Lazarus and the rich man. Luke chapter 6, as Jesus spoke about, just a moment after death, one was the rich man and the poor man and life and this life and the roles were completely reversed just one instant um, after Uh, death. And so the importance of living by what Jesus called the golden rule. The golden rule today is he who has the gold rules. That's a very terrible golden rule. Jesus's golden rule was, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, you do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So that's shutting our our cry, the cry of the poor to our ears when we have resources to help them, not only because we may one day have the roles reversed, but the time may come where we may not uh, have that extra to give away and we'll have lost a season in our life where we had the the opportunity to do so. Verse 14, a gift in secret pacifies anger and a bribe behind the back strong wrath. And so this speaks about the power of a gift to pacify anger and to the power and the appropriateness of gifts in helping to restore uh, a rift or some damage in a relationship. This goes on all of the time. Uh, Husband uh, does something dumb or he says something dumb that really hurts or it angers his wife. And so first and foremost, he asks for forgiveness and he apologizes and all, but then Uh, From behind his back, he produces a bouquet of flowers or a box of candy um, or a diamond tennis bracelet, depending on what kind of trouble he's in and how dumb he was a little bit earlier in all. And uh, that gift is like this further evidence of his repentance and his love uh, for her. And it can really have a healing effect upon the partner who is uh, hurt. And the second part of the uh, proverb where it talks about the bribe. The Hebrew word for bribe is also translated a gift elsewhere in the Old Testament. So there isn't, necess- isn't a necessity to look at it negatively at all. It can just simply be stating the very same thing of part one, and that is the power of a gift to help a person um, process uh, even strong wrath because of something uh, dumb I've done in their life. Verse 15, it is a joy for the just to do justice, but destruction will come upon the workers of iniquity. And so uh, doing good is its own reward because of what we feel when we do good, what we feel when we do right. Why do we feel good when we do what's right? We know why we feel bad when we do something's wrong. Well, why do we feel good when we do something uh, right? Because we've been made to do right. That's what we've been made for. And so, just that confirmation that's within our conscience, to say nothing, of, of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so, this obeying God and doing right, that's kind of a grinding existence. It's a blessed life. And once again, that feeling that we feel and experience by doing right, that is a feeling that the wicked never know. It would be terrible, terrible to never know that feeling in your life, to never know what that feels like all the way down in your core and in your spirit. They never, ever know what that feels like. I tell you, I wouldn't change positions with them, as I said, for the whole world. Verse 16, a man who wanders from the way of understanding will... Rest in the assembly of the dead. And this is the idea of walking away from God's ways can lead to physical death. Happens all of the time. He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil, these were luxury items uh, in the ancient world, will not be rich. And so it talks about the addiction to luxury, the addiction to parties and pleasure and entertainment. It leads to poverty And uh, nothing wrong with enjoying those things in life and the blessings in life, but this speaks of someone who's undisciplined and addicted to these kind of things as a master passion in their life. Uh, They will spend all of their money on it and end up poor. The wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous and the unfaithful for the upright. And so this speaks of the final judgment. Ultimately, the upright and the righteous are going to prevail. The wicked will not prevail. And so one day the uh, tables are going to be turned from the way that uh, things are in the overwhelming majority of the world where unrighteous people are prevailing over righteous people and the fallenness of the world. Verse 19, "...bitter to dwell in the wilderness." than with a contentious and angry woman. So he was in the house. And then he's on the roof. And now he's out in the Judean wilderness, the desert. (laughs) That progression plays out, my friends, all of the time. So... He's not only out in the wilderness, but he's happy for it. So this proverb is variation of it repeated over and over again because it's important. God's trying to get the attention of women who are unsubmissive. They are fighters and battlers and clamorous. And to realize that is not a good thing uh, to bring to a marriage. And God knows how He has made men, and He knows how He has made women. And uh, He knows how He's made husbands and wives, and what they prize uh, in a relationship. And men really do prize peace and quiet. Everybody does, but they do in their relation as well. Not all of them, but the overwhelming majority of them. And so often. Uh, The wife can be surprised when the husband, he ups and leaves, and she just can't believe why would he leave all of this? He leaves all of this for nothing, to live out in the desert. That's a woman that doesn't understand what peace and quiet means uh, to a man. And, of course, husbands who are always contentious and angry, they need to heed this uh, proverb just as much for the same reasons. Again, every wife, every husband has a right to peace and quiet in their home. Verse 20, this is a desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. And so a wise man is disciplined, he's conservative with his resources, and the fool, he just squanders his money as soon as he gets it. So payday is payday. All the money gets spent within 48 hours of payday and everybody starves the next two weeks until the next check comes rather than kind of budgeting and being disciplined and, and uh, you know, handling the money in a conservative uh, fashion. And it's true. You can fight against it, but it is uh, truth in life. Verse 21, He who follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness, and honor, so he finds what he seeks. Uh, he seeks righteousness and mercy, plus life and honor. He finds that, and that's the greatest life. A strong man scales the city of the mighty, or wise man rather, scales the city of the mighty and brings down the trusted stronghold. And so, this speaks of the fact that wisdom is greater than brute physical strength or um, by uh, or heavy fortifications. And so. Uh, idea is to therefore always pursue wisdom from God primarily and physical strength secondarily reminds us in Paul writing to Timothy and he said for bodily exercise profits a little he's not putting it down keep the cardio do keep the thing going it's all great but godliness but godliness is profitable for all things having promise of the life that now is and of that that is to come. And so the importance of giving ourselves to wisdom and uh, it's more profitable than just sheer physical strength. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Can I get an amen? Yes, I'm sure I could. So. So being careful about what comes out of our mouths spares us all kinds of troubles. A proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name, he acts with arrogant pride. And this talks about the man who scoffs at God's truth. He doesn't uh, believe in God's truth. He makes fun of God's truth. These people are a dime a dozen uh, anymore. But when a person scoffs related to God's truth and God's ways and all of that kind of thing. It doesn't reveal them to be brilliant. Uh, people, So many people think they're so wise, they're so brilliant, they just stand up against God and say it's all old-fashioned and it's all nonsense and all. And the Lord says, no, that's not to be brilliant. It's to be proud and it's to be haughty. And again, all you have to do is just take that man's wisdom plug it into a human life, which is exactly what that man is doing, and then see what it looks like 20 years down the road, 40 years down the road, as opposed to what God's wisdom looks like. The quality of life, Jesus said, wisdom is justified by her children. Wisdom earns the right to be called wisdom on the basis of the quality of person that it produces. And nobody produces a greater quality of life or a greater human being than the wisdom of the Lord the desire of the lazy man kills him. He wants things, but but just tortured, but he only wants what hard work can provide, but he's unwilling to work hard for his hands refuse to labor. He covets greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. And so the lazy man, he spends all of his life coveting and dreaming and wishing that he had this in life. And He never gets what he covets because uh, those things only come through hard work. And the righteous man who works hard, he earns his money and all, he has enough and then a little bit more to give to others. So another uh, uh, condemnation of laziness in the book of Proverbs. Verse 27, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with wicked intent? So again, no gift that we bring to God is meaningful to God at all unless it is given with a heart of obedience, a heart that. That is uh, right with him because he can't enjoy uh, the gift that's given to him from someone who doesn't love him enough to obey his word. That's why the Bible. Jesus said, "Do you love me? Keep my commandments. That's the greatest way to express our love for him. And if I'm unwilling to do that, then no gift quite no gift can ever communicate. Uh, my true love for him than my obedience. And so this is talking about when you give a gift in order to buy something from God or from someone. And uh, there's hypocrisy. It's manipulation. And God rejects all of that as well because God can't be bought. A wise witness, a false witness rather, shall perish. But the man who hears him will speak endlessly. So the the setting here is in a court of law. And it contrasts the man who lies on the witness stand and the person who is carefully listening to what he's saying on uh, the witness stand, everything that's being presented. And he comes to his conclusion about the case and uh, that kind of man who listens carefully in life and in a courtroom will ultimately expose the false witness and he'll have the final say in the case. Uh, the English Standard Version captures this. It puts it this way. A false witness shall perish, but the word of, the, of a man who hears will endure. Verse 29, a wicked man hardens his face. Uh, as for the upright, he uh, establishes his way. Uh, in other words, he does what is right. So the wicked man uh, because he's wicked, he's got to have a poker face. He's got to harden his face. This isn't talking about Botox or anything like that. So he's got this wicked life, this wicked heart. He's, he's working people. He's working angles and taking advantage of people, but he can't let them see it on his face. So he's got this poker face and all. What a terrible uh, way to live. And the righteous man, the upright man is concerned with the course of his life. And so the first spends his whole life bluffing and the second spends his whole life living. And isn't that just a world of difference between the wicked and the righteous? And it's true. Verse 30, There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. In other words, don't fight against God because... You can't fight against him and win. No matter how smart we are, no matter how many people that may gather together and, and, uh, and unite in their numbers like a tower of Babel or whatever, uh, human wisdom is no match for God's wisdom. And uh, so uh, don't think that we're smarter than him. And the evidence is all around us in the world. Everywhere you see God's word being violated, there's your evidence right in front of you. No man is smarter than Uh, God And, of course, the one place that we don't want to fight against God is concerning the salvation that's found in His Son. And He's going to win there as well as everywhere else in life. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. So we can prepare for battles in life. We can prepare... uh, and and should prepare for those battles. But victory is always in God's hands. And so you have verse 30. It warns us not to fight against the Lord. And then verse 31 warns us not to fight without him. That's one of the great things about growing older in the Lord. You realize, Lord, I can't do anything apart from you. I don't want to try and do anything apart from you. I certainly don't want to enter into a battle without you. So here is my best related to this. But... The victory has to come uh, from you. Chapter 22, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. And so having a good name or a good reputation is more valuable than riches or possessions. What good is being rich um, if you have a terrible reputation in the minds of everyone around you? I wouldn't want it. I would rather have a good reputation and have uh, our clothing and shelter and daily bread than have the whole world and everybody just looks at you and has total disrespect for you. And so richness isn't just measured in terms of wealth. Uh, Richness is measured in the number of people who love us and respect us as well. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. So no matter whether we're rich or poor, we all have one thing in common. We all have God as our maker. So God loves us equally. God uh, cares about us equally, no matter what our financial situation is in life. And that's how we need to view one another. Again, we've got something about our flesh. There's something about the nurturing of the culture. It's interesting they have, in India, they have the caste system where whatever caste you're born into, um, that's your caste for life. So the Hindu belief is that um, that can't change in this life. So you go and you come back as another something or someone or whatever and then things can be different. But you you could be in India born into... The lowest caste in in that uh, uh, system there, and make a discovery that makes you worth five hundred billion dollars. In the eyes of the rest of the country, you are still an untouchable. It makes no difference. That's the system, the caste system. It's a terrible, terrible system. It comes out of religion. But you watch, sometimes you watch the old BBC movies and things where they've got the English deal and you go back and everything and they drink tea and they drink tea and then they have some more tea and they drink tea. I love it. I love tea. It's fabulous. There's three hours of watching people drink tea and do nothing but hunt and then gorge themselves on wild boar. That's eh, great. Just kidding. So, but you've got that whole caste system. And the servant can't talk to the owner, and the owner of the mansion can't talk here in the, de- the whole deal, and nobody can marry around. By the time it gets done, I want to throw the remote across the room. Would somebody please talk to somebody like a human being and forget all this stupid stuff? Click. But enough about my problems. But that was real. And that's in the rearview mirror. In a large degree, but it's in all of us, all the way until we get our new bodies. We notice difference. We always got to somehow think we got to put somebody else down to think more of ourselves. And, and, and it's good to just be reminded God loves everybody as much as he loves me. He's for them as much as he is for me. And it doesn't matter whether they own multi-millions multi of dollars or whether... They've got the smallest little amount and they're working to get aluminum cans to supplement what they earn uh, with their regular job on the evenings and on the weekends. And it, it's good to, to realize that these kind of class distinctions, they mean nothing to God. They're just inventions of man and uh, just to look at one another uh, in, in that way. Verse 3, a prudent man foresees evil and the future, and he hides himself. Now, the Bible tells tells us not to worry about the future, but it doesn't say that we can't look at the future and plan under the direction of the Spirit. A prudent man foresees evil, and he hides himself, but the simple person, he passes on, and and he's punished as a result of, of the evil he could have readily avoided. And so a wise man is a person who looks ahead, And uh, he sees trouble coming, and he begins to take measures to protect himself from that trouble that is coming. And uh, uh, there isn't any wisdom in ignoring a reality in life and living with our heads in the sand. It's okay to plan uh, accordingly. I like the old story. It's an old illustration, but I like it nonetheless of... The flood, great flood that occurred in California. Maybe I'm just trying to prime the pump a little bit for a little more rain. But uh, this flood came into California, and the floodwaters were rising. And there was a man; he was the waters come up to the steps, the uh, the porch level of his house. And and uh, and another man comes in a rowboat comes by, and the man in the rowboat tells him to get into the boat and he'd save him. And the man said, no, no, I have faith in God and I'm going to wait for God to save me. And the floodwaters keep on rising and rising. And the man goes to the second floor of his house. Man comes by this time in a motorboat. And he told the man to get out of the house, get into the motorboat. I've come to rescue him. He said, no, thank you. I believe in God. I have faith in God and I'm going to wait for him uh, to deliver me. And so pretty soon there. Up on the water is up on the man's roof, and he gets out up on top of the roof, and a helicopter comes by and lowers a rope. The pilot shouts to him, he's come to save him. Hold on to the rope. We'll get you out of here. The man wouldn't get in, and he just said, no, I have faith in God. I'm going to wait for God to rescue me. And so the floodwaters kept rising, and ultimately the man uh, drowned. Got to heaven. His faith just broken, just shattered. And he said to St. Peter, he said, I thought God would grant me a miracle, but he let me down. And St. Peter chuckled and he said, I don't know what you're complaining about. We sent you three boats and a helicopter. And uh, sometimes that's the way that it is. God lets us see trouble coming afar off and saying, all right, I'm going to make decisions uh, to change there. And, of course, nowhere is that more important than uh, concerning salvation. And eternity. The only preparation for eternity is uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Himself. Verse four: By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. And so, humility and fear of the Lord—in other words, respect for God, obedience to the to God, living righteously—that's the path to riches and the path to honor and real life and the uh, uh, and. and That's the path to all of those things. It's a little bit alarming in light of how lightly our nation here esteems humility and the fear of the Lord. And then somehow we can throw out humility and the fear of the Lord, and we're still going to continue to be a prosperous nation. That simply isn't going to happen. That's a pipe dream, and you can make speeches about that all you want, but that's not how any nation prospers, and it's not how a person prospers Either, let's stop right there tonight. We'll pick things up in verse five next week. I'd like the worship team to come forward and lead us in just a little bit more worship tonight before we uh, leave the service tonight. Chance to. Worship.